Hear these words from John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Well, thank you, choir, and Don and Katie for beautiful music, and also to Kathy Roberts who uh, sang a piece this morning at 8.30 that was beautiful. Thank you so, so much. Um, Friends, it is good to be back with you this morning. I'm thankful for Connor for preaching last week. I know uh, he preached a heck of a sermon. And uh, Adair and I were gone last week. We were sightseeing in Boston and Cape Cod. And uh, that almost came out in a Boston accent. Uh, We'd never been there before. And for reasons I shared earlier, we're probably not going to be traveling much in the near future. So we thought we'd go to some place we've never been, and I'm thankful some of you recommended stuff. Eric and Javon actually handed us a packet of stuff, uh, and we did about a quarter of it, I think, and uh, it was awesome. But I've got to say, Boston has now become one of my new favorite cities because, well, not just because of the accents or the walkability of the city or the amount of good food or even that Cheers is there. Um, which, by, uh, by the way, no, nobody knew our names there. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a false promise. Now, uh, we love the city because of the amount of history right there. We saw the stories we've heard ever since, like, kindergarten, right? They come to life right there. We saw where the Boston Massacre occurred. And we saw Paul Revere's home where he raised, I think, 16 kids. We saw the harbor where the rebels threw tea into the water. We saw the old North church. And then we saw Bunker Hill, just to name a few places. And these sites are incredible because they've become symbols, right? When I see those places, they're symbols of America's ideal, uh, symbols of freedom and liberty and justice for all. And I think we need places and things like that. We need ways of remembering. We need symbols because we need to be reminded of simple things. We need to be able to interact with and see and touch something to help the abstract become more concrete. We need something to help us remember who we are and where we come from and what still unites us. We need symbols. 
Now, every group, every tribe, every company, every nation, every religion, every denomination has symbols that do the same for them to signify something. For Americans, a few of our symbols are the flag, uh, the ball, the eagle. For Christians, it is the steeple that you can see. And of course, the cross itself. For the United Methodist Church, if you look at the front of your hymnal, it's the cross and the flame that is our main symbol. Even for Noonan First United Methodist Church, if you look at the top of these windows near the top, you'll see the little rose, the circle, and the glass there. That is our logo for our church, and it comes right from this sanctuary. It's our symbol. For Judaism, anybody know what a symbol for Judaism is? The star, star of David, or even the menorah. And if you travel back enough into the Hebrew past, you'll find that there were other symbols used to convey meaning for the Hebrew people, including the temple itself. The second temple in Jerusalem, which was around when Jesus was walking around, was it was a location of incredible majesty. The mount itself was and still is incredibly large. In its heyday, it's about 36 acres, or if you need a better visual, you can fit about 27 football fields right on the top. The temple stood 18 stories high and was covered in gold. And as soon as the sun was up in the morning and it struck that gold, there might as well have been two suns. From a distance, it's said that it looked like a bright white mountaintop. We talk about a symbol. The entrance was huge, 70 feet high, and framing one of the entrances was another symbol. It was a large vine carved in stone and painted in gold. It was right all the way around one of the door frames, and from this vine came branches and leaves and fruit, and we're told that the clusters of grapes were as tall as a man. And this image, this symbol was deeply important to Israel because the vine represented Israel itself. Many times Israel in the Old Testament is referred to as a vine or a vineyard. That was a national and religious symbol to all that the people of Israel were a part of something that has spanned a great deal of time and is still growing. And Jesus and the disciples would have known this image well. Our passage today was from John 15, but just before in John chapter 14, as Jesus concludes a portion of his farewell speech, he's not done yet, but as he concludes a portion, he says to his disciples at the very end, let's go. It's kind of abrupt, actually. He says, let's go. And I can imagine everybody gets up, you know, this is after the foot washing, after the Last Supper, they leave the upper room and they're heading out to the Mount of Olives. That's where the next action occurs. And as the group heads out and walks along the street, they would have passed the temple. In my imagination, I wonder if as they passed this magnificent structure, if they might have glanced over and seen that vine over one, of the, over one of the doors. And I wonder if Jesus saw it and decided to continue his speech with a new metaphor. I wonder if Jesus paused for a moment and pointed to the great vine around the door, the great symbol of Israel, the reminder of their ancestors, of their chosenness. And I wonder if Jesus turned to his friends and looked at them and said, earlier, guys, I told you that I was the way, the truth, and the life. And maybe that wasn't clear. Maybe that was too much. Perhaps that was a little hard to understand, so let me try again. Do you see that vine that you've walked past day after day? That carved symbol of Israel, of our ancestry, of who we are, do you see that symbol? That is all it is. It's a symbol. It's a metaphor. It's a carving. The vine isn't real, but 
there is another vine. I imagine Jesus would have continued to teach on the way to the Mount of Olives, telling the disciples, I am the true vine. That word really means real. I am the real vine. I'm not carved in the stone. I'm real. And I am the vine. And God is the keeper of the vine. In fact, God is the keeper of the whole vineyard. And in the moments that followed, Jesus would say to his disciples that, that remaining connected to a religion is no longer what defines a God follower, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Rather, he would tell them that it is a relationship. I am the vine. Connection to me is what defines you now. And if you are to bear fruit, you must be connected to me, the true vine, the real vine. And in doing so, in his little sermon, Jesus also reminds any Jewish reader of the prophet Isaiah and his song of the vineyard. These are seven verses in Isaiah chapter 5, and they begin like this. This is how it starts. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. God, the vine keeper, planted seeds and had expectation. But at the end of the growing season, God only found rotten and inedible fruit. And at the end of this song, we read this. God looked for fruit. God looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. God looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress and injustice. And so Jesus, a teacher who knows the writings of Isaiah, says to his disciples, I am the real vine, you are the branches, and I want you to bear good fruit. What is he saying? I don't want rotten fruit of oppression and bloodshed and distress, of religious nominalism, of following rules simply to check boxes. I want good fruit, fruit of righteousness and justice, fruit of good intention and love for your fellow human. Look out for the least and the lost. And do you know how you will produce good fruit, Jesus says? He says this, remain in me, abide in me. Remain in the vine, the real vine. Abide in me and my words will abide in you. Stay connected to me the true vine, and you will produce fruit if you remain in me, if you remain in my love, he says. And you will remain in my love if you keep my commandments. And this is my commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. And the greatest version, he says, of this is giving your life for another. That is the means by which you will bear good fruit. But what is the point of all this? What is the takeaway? For me, it's this. The vine is no longer a stone-carved golden symbol over a door. It's no longer a sign of religious fervor or Hebrew nationalism. It's no longer a simple metaphor. The real vine is the incarnation of God in a man. And the way to God is through the connection to this incarnation as a branch to a vine. But be careful because this connection means more than just a simple relationship with Jesus, if I can even call that simple. Pastor Leslie Weatherhead of the City Temple in London years ago reinterpreted Jesus' words like this. He said, I am the real vine, and while you are the branches, 
Everyone who is in relationship with me has the same life flowing through him or her and is incorporated by that relationship into the divine community. What does that mean? That means my connection to the vine, the real vine, and your connection to the real vine, it all connects us. We are connected to Jesus, and in order to bear fruit, we are to remain connected as branches to a vine. We are to remain in Jesus, to keep his commandments, and to love each other as Jesus has loved us. And part of remaining in Jesus, part of staying connected to Jesus, is staying connected to you and to me. I have to remain connected with you. And frankly, sometimes I think that's probably difficult. It may be the greatest difficulty of all. I mean, I love Jesus. I love the vine. I love being a branch on the vine. But sometimes, I don't know that I love all the branches. There are around 40,000 denominations of Christianity in the world. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that we love our connection to the vine, but sometimes we don't really want to be connected with other branches on the vine. Perhaps some of you feel that way sometimes. Professor of New Testament at Wake Forest. Her name was Gail O'Day. She acknowledged that it is difficult to stay connected to each other, but she paints an incredible picture of what Jesus is getting at here. She says, in a vine, branches are almost completely indistinguishable from one another. It is impossible to, ter- to determine where one branch stops and another starts. All run together as they grow out of the central vine. Thus, there are no freestanding individuals in community but branches who encircle one another completely. Each individual branch, she says, is rooted in Jesus and hence gives up individual status to become one of many encircling branches. Therefore, to live as the branches of the vine is to belong to an organic unity shaped completely by the love of Jesus Christ. And if that's true, And then if you are truly connected to the vine, you can only produce fruit by remaining connected, which also means that you must remain connected to one another. And not only that, but the mandate is to love the fellow branches as Christ has loved. You know that, you've heard that. But also in that spirit, Pastor Weatherhead says that no branch which is truly and actually connected, no branch of the true vine can disparage another branch. If you are really connected to Jesus, yeah, you should love sacrificially. They will know you are Christians by your love and by the way you treat the other branches connected to the vine because no branch of the true vine should ever denigrate or belittle or slander or ridicule another branch. Such a thing, I imagine, would be evidence of rotten fruit. The great theologian Reinhold Niebuhr said that human life is healthy only in relationship, only in connection. And Jesus calls us to connection in him. And in that connection of a branch to the vine, we also find connection with the other branches. And we must remain in that connection to both if we are to bear good fruit. I'm sorry, that's my nephew. He's having to go outside. See you, Crosby. I don't know if you know this, but the United Methodist Church, our system, our method of organization was founded by John Wesley, and he called it a connection. That's what he named it. 
part of who we are. And ideally, every local church, he designed it this way, every local church in the connection becomes linked to an interconnected network of organizations that join together in mission and ministry, allowing us to accomplish far more than any one local church or person could alone. That's what the UM connectional system is supposed to be about. It's the original multi-campus church. And that feeling of connection has helped many and continues to do so. It is far from perfect and it needs work, but it is a system founded on connection. That's our history. Rebecca K. Reynolds writes for a blog and shares that in previous years, she and her husband, they planted a non-denominational church. And if, if you've never known anybody who's planted a church, regardless of denomination, you know it's hard. It takes a lot. It almost takes everything. But 10 years in, she says, it wasn't going well. They were burnt out and they were done. And the church closed and they walked away from ministry and church. Not forever, but for as long as they needed to. She says that in the days following, she was in this dark place. She was in pain and disappointment and depression. She was at a low point, and she writes that in the midst of that, she knew of a church in her town that she could go to. So she ran, she says, to the oldest Methodist congregation in their town, and I sank exhausted into a creaky wooden pew. And Rebecca says, I ran to the Methodist church because I knew how the Methodists in our town love. I knew they wouldn't hyperanalyze, they wouldn't critique, they wouldn't shuffle me into the next new trend that promised to fix whatever was wrong with the last new trend. And she's honest when she says, I knew, I knew that I would probably be more like the Presbyterians. The Presbyterians were probably more like me. I knew, she says, the Baptists might be a little bit more passionate about evangelism I knew, she said, the non-denoms might be more culturally relevant to me. She says, I know the Anglicans might be more gritty and more thinky, she says. She said, I love those denominations, and I knew that I could fit at least partially in any of them. A lot of you have come from many different denominations and may end up at different denominations as well. But she says, I was wounded, and I needed a hospital. And when Rebecca needed connection the most, she knew where to go. She found a church that happened to be Methodist, that to some may have seemed like nothing but a symbol, but to others and to her it was more than that. It was a connection to the vine with a bunch of branches ready to make good on their connection to their Savior and to each other. Friends, I hope and I pray that when people in this community need a hospital, that they'll know we're one of the stops they can go to. If they need connection, if they need rest, they know where to run to some old, creaky, wooden pews. So may you remember to remain connected, to abide in the true vine. May you know that a connection to Jesus doesn't absolve you of a connection to your neighbor. In fact, they might just be tangled up in each other. May you not disparage another branch, but may you love your fellow branches as the vine, the true vine, the real vine has loved you. 
And may you welcome those who are in desperate need of connection, of a hospital, and are looking for the true vine. Let us pray. Gracious God, this morning I'm thankful for the connections present in this room, that we are connected to you and thus connected to one another. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember that we are branches tangled up and encircled by the others. And may we remember that we are all connected to a singular vine, the true vine, Jesus Christ, who has shown, it, shown us exactly what it means to love the other branches, who has given his life that we might have life. Be with us now, God, and help us to be a church that people can run to when they have been disconnected, that they might find reconnection to you and to fellow branches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.